Avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. Okay, you're being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. He's carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite of the conditions he won in Lord. Rain so close. Getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is gonna do it. He's gonna smash the time of Lawrence. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello, hello again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for downloading this episode, leaving those ratings and reviews, and subscribing to the show. Yep, it's a lot of thanks. Well, I'm grateful. I'm really grateful to all you guys out there for downloading the shows and give me all that positive feedback. And even some feedback that I can improve on. Because without that, how can I get better? And that's the goal of this. This is for me to get better, educate you guys, have a bit of fun, and for the show to get better. So again, thanks so much. This week on the show, a good friend of mine, Martin Soderstrom. He reached the top of the Slopestyle world. Ever friendly, ever likable Martin, always with a smile on his face. Well guys, it's not always so dandy for everyone, especially at the top of the sport. Everyone thinks it's easy. Well, it's not. And he really opened up about some personal struggles he was going through and went through. So guys, enjoy this episode. Very candid conversation with Martin Sonderstrom. So I'm excited to get going. Um, it was a good buddy of mine when we were on, I call it the circuit, but the man is one of the biggest and most famous plus friendliest slopestyle riders and free riders out there. Martin Sonderstrom, I'm excited to catch up with you. How are we doing? What's up, Andrew? Thanks for the very heartwarming introduction. I'll try to uh, be nice all, all, all of the podcast. Uh, good. Uh, it's been a crazy, uh, crazy year or crazy half, half a year. But uh, now I'm, uh, as everyone can see on Instagram and stuff, that I'm back on my bike, which is uh, very cool. And uh, yeah, uh, life uh, well. Pretty much went from very bad to uh, pretty good quickly. It's uh, crazy how, how it can be sometimes. I can only imagine, and it, it does, and you've been through injuries as well, which we can dig into the highs and lows of that. And, well, we're in a sport that produces a lot of highs and lows, and, and so does life. So I was, I was excited that you wanted to come on, and, and you've always been uh, really open about your feelings. I know when we were at the Crankworx events, be it before the competition, during the competition, at the bar afterwards. I think we always used to end up near each other and maybe talking a little bit further and deeper than just a bike. And and so that was that was exciting for me. But you you come from Sweden. It's a it's a place not really renowned for huge riding stars. And and you've certainly become one of the biggest worldwide stars and then kind of paved the way for a lot of um, slope style riders and free riders. Talk to me about the early beginnings. I mean, for the listener at home, where does a man like you, how does it start? How do you get a passion for mountain bikes coming from Sweden, which isn't quite known for it? It is now. And you've definitely mm. helped that. Yeah, it's... Uh... It was. Uh, I, I would say it was, I was just super lucky that uh, my neighbor and uh, his friend uh, bought some uh, some mountain bikes and uh, started like riding on the street right outside my house and doing wheelies and uh, doing bunny hops and uh, that obviously we all know that looked super cool and uh, and that so um, yeah then I uh, asked my uh, or I 
pretty much were nagging on my parents for like, I think it was over six months every day and went down to the local bike shop and looked at a B1 Sydney model, uh, the like uh, Sydney replica Olympic cross country bike. And it was uh, super sick. And, um, and then I pretty much got over it, like got over nagging. And then uh, at Christmas, yeah, my parents had, I got me this, uh, that dream bike and, uh, pretty much from that moment. And I would say like five, five months forward, no, five years forward, even, uh, I was just living on my, on my bike and with, uh, with that neighbor and his friend, and we were just riding all day, every day, progressing like crazy, obviously. And, uh, I mean, must be kind of the same for you when you, think back at those times that was like almost the best times when you like started you had no pressure you didn't you didn't even you didn't know that it was a sport it was just out of pure passion and we would like wake up super early so we could ride all day and get home in in time before uh, our parents would freak out because we were out too long so um yeah I would say it was like the perfect start and it's uh it really warms my heart to to think about it because that's uh how mountain biking should be uh, yeah it was uh the dream start and uh, even in the winter and places that are so cold where you come from, were you able to push through even the winter? Was there such a passion for riding and escaping maybe normal kids' life and, and being out on your bike? Were you riding a lot in winter as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like we were back then, we actually were lucky that we had a skate park. So that was good. And I think that's where I kind of started my whole uh, bit more technical bmxy parky uh style uh but uh no i remember back in the day when we were when we were riding in like minus 20 degrees and i froze my fingers and uh back in the day the suspensions never worked during the winter so it <laughs> it sucked really bad i remember the old many two forks they just froze it was zero suspension but uh yeah it was uh it was crazy how um how like how hard you can push when the or you didn't even feel like pushing you just did it out of pure passion and that's uh, yeah it's very cool as you can see I'm smiling when I'm thinking about it those were um, I some can. very fun days it's the simpler times I think when you get into anything new and there's that uh, level of just progression and and beginner mindset that uh, you just love being out there and I think you clearly formed a lot of skill. Uh, in, in being forced into skate parks and you're known as one of the most technically gifted riders out there and it clearly came from a lot of practice it doesn't just come overnight it sounds like you were living on your bicycle as most <laughs> successful professional sportsmen in general they um, had to practice their craft and to you it probably wasn't work or practice you were just out riding and you you excelled at a early early age. I mean, you burst on the scene. There's um, I've been doing a lot of a little bit of research, seeing these YouTube <laughs> videos of you um, at that slope style event, and and soon after that, you were on on the world stage. So talk to me a little bit about those early years and excelling. You know, what was it like going from a guy just riding his bike to suddenly going to comps around the world and and getting on the podiums? And I guess those are the highs. There were quite a lot of highs early on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 
it was uh, yeah very crazy everything happened super quickly for me um, I posted a video on YouTube that did uh, really well and got like almost a million views and back then before Danny McGaskill and Fabio were bursting into the scene that was that was some pretty serious good numbers <laughs> back yeah then. yeah it was then, it's uh, huge numbers. <laughs> and uh, yeah for me that was really crazy um and then uh, a couple of weeks or months later uh Tariq Rasuli who uh, were like the the main event organizer back then uh, contacted me and were like, "Oh, this looks uh, this looks looks good. Looks like you have some talent, and you want to come uh, ride one of my events in uh, Austria." And that was uh, and that was kind of lucky as well for me because that was the white style, and I guess uh, it was one of the first years of white style. And since I was kind of uh, very much used to, as we were talking about before, <laughs> riding in the snow and riding in the cold, so that yeah. was uh, that actually suited me uh, very well. Oh yeah, but that that event was just. I think I I don't really remember. It was, it's, it's almost like a blackout from the whole event because just showing up there at Munich Airport and you see like Andreo and Kamakol and Lance McDermott and all the guys that you've been watching on videos and like been looking up to for so long. And since I was such a bike and you've, nerd, and you've and met was, none of these guys to that point. This is your first. No, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I had, I've just seen them on, in like new disorder and, and stuff like that. So yeah, that was obviously, uh, unreal. And maybe I should start, take it back just a little bit that I've always like before that, or even then, I, I'm sure if you ask Pilgrim and all those guys, I was super shy like very, <clears throat> very scared. Like when I was younger, I was very scared of, of everything. Um, like riding to the city of Uppsala, I was like, oh, I'd rather stay here in the in the suburb. And uh, yeah, I was just uh, a very scared kid, uh, and can't really uh, understand that now. Maybe where uh, many people see me as kind of outgoing and stuff, but. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I thought I would uh, say that as well. Oh, that's that's uh, brilliant. It's good life, to know. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, uh, how it all began, and maybe a bit introverted before you were exposed to this uh, outwardly uh, crazy world of of free ride mountain biking. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that's also kind of a cool story. That I mean, me and Pilgrim have been kind of like shoulder to shoulder our whole careers. That. And it started at White Style because that was, I think, one of his first, uh, it wasn't his first, but one of his first international uh, uh, events. And uh, it was my first one. And we got, um, we shared the uh, room at that event. So it kind of, the friendship started there and it was kind of cool. And then we just like kind of evolved as riders. And then we, it was pretty much me Pilgrim, and then sometimes Amir Kabane, and sometimes Yannick uh, in the like European contest that was always competing for uh, for the top spots. It's kind of cool that we yeah got paired up in the same room, became friends, and then we basically traveled the whole world world together. So uh, again, it was I was very lucky uh, in the beginning of my career. Many good things happened that like. I'm sure many athletes can say the, the complete opposite thing that everything kind of 
went the the wrong way or pinballed the the wrong way but for me in the beginning everything was just went the right way i i feel like i found the right the right uh, friends and um yeah i was just uh, i felt very welcomed in the in the scene and it was also very cool to have uh, tron the hansen as uh, like a scandinavian because he could uh yeah he was already on the scene and was a big name, so he could kind of introduce me to people and uh, like, yeah, Martin, do you want to join us for dinner? So I, I wouldn't sit all by myself being a, a scared Swedish uh, little kid. So Yeah, that um, could, could have been lonely. So he almost mentored you a little bit and you had the Scandinavian thing in common so you guys could relate. So that absolutely. sounds like you had a bit of a mentor there and you could lean on him for questions and, and things he was totally. there ready. Yeah, no, he was. Um, yeah, he uh, he was playing a a big role there in the in the beginning. Uh, yeah, it was so many memories coming back now. And like my mom dropped me off at the off at the airport, and she was crying. And it was like it was uh, very chaotic. Yeah. But it's I, a big deal. I mean, going from you know it's an unknown in in Sweden. Uh, and there mm. wasn't a lot of Scandinavian riders to then going to these world events and then excelling early. I mean, take us take us through that, getting there, meeting all your stars. Mm. Was there a thought of performing well there or were you just riding your bike at those very first few? I, I've always been very competitive. Um, but I definitely, I mean, I obviously didn't go there with any expectations at all because I had no idea, probably never been riding jumps that big and uh yeah had no clue how how good the rest of the the rest of the riders were um but yeah i think i just kind of did my did my thing uh i remember that back back then i was riding a pretty high bar so i did like turn downs out of the fruit bowl or whatever it was and yeah it felt like um i tried to at least be myself a little bit still back then and do my own thing and did my my three whips and my more technical riding and anyway um yeah then uh, the comp started and um yeah, that's even more crazy that I, I managed to get second in the in the qualifying. And I remember just calling my parents like, ah, what's happening? <laughs> like pretty much I managed to beat all, um, yeah, all the rock stars that I've been looking up, up to for so long. And again, you were like young and you're like, oh, OK, so everyone is saving themselves for the final. And like, OK, that's how it works. So you don't uh, you don't do your best trick in qualifying because <laughs> obviously I... I never thought I could beat them or like it was it was a too crazy yeah so no game no game plan back then like you said the top guys were were saving themselves for final and you're a young guy just so excited to be there you wanted to maybe show everyone what you've got so you did it in in qualifying yeah or I don't know if they even saved themselves for that but that's what I thought because I mean it was just too surreal to think that I would be up there with the with them um and then the the final started and uh, i think i ended up fourth or something like that and that was also like just just crazy um and then 
from that moment, I pretty much got an invite to the rest of the events. And that's really when everything happened super quickly, like a couple of a couple of months later, it was BNR King, and I got second there. And after that, I got invited to Kashkai, which, which back then was like the biggest, the biggest thing we had uh, on the scene. Uh, or like, it sounds like it went. I don't know how uh, how <laughs> how much I should I should dig into this, but uh, uh, if it's if it's on your mind, go for it. I mean, I remember <laughs> the Kashkai events. We're talking cities of 40 50,000 maybe it was 60,000 back there. I know Crankworks is 35,000 fans and now mm. we're a young kind of teenager early 20s and you're just thrown into a sport that now looking into it and researching you it'll 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 put you it'll get you to the top but it'll throw you down to the bottom just as quick, you know, it's a young man's sport. Um, it's Absolutely. you don't have a long career life because of injuries and this this pressure and stuff like that. So it's interesting to hear in the beginning what it was like. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, but that's uh, actually yeah, it wasn't exactly as I said. It was because uh, after that I got invited to the qualifying for for Kashkai, and then uh, it's crazy to think now that it was so. That was like my my third or fourth international contest, and back then I felt like I was I was so in it, like, like that was that I had. It felt like I'd been in it for for so long. When I I'm looking back at at the Kashkai qualifiers, but I was actually yeah. It's weird how quickly you can adapt because at the Kashkai quali, I was like, okay, I have to like qualify for Kashkai, and that I. I, I felt like I was uh, I was really up there with like uh, the best of them, but it's crazy, it's crazy how fast you can adapt, right? From the first contest, and then on the third one, I already felt like I was like up there with the best best well, riders. And on the, maybe on the first you, one. maybe you could adapt quickly, and that maybe plays to that thing you mentioned about being so competitive that you were just dealing with what you had to 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 get these results. So clearly, being so competitive, you may be ahead of your time, and how comfortable you felt on the world stage. And you spoke um, earlier about, you know, you did the turn down because you had high bars and you're a taller rider. And I noticed throughout your career, you seem to always kind of stick to what you believed in, what you trusted. You didn't really get caught up in guys, okay, they were doing double backflips, which is a very scary trick and maybe even sometimes needs less skill. I'm not downplaying it, less skill than some of your technical tricks. But you didn't go upside down that much. It seems like you were comfortable doing what you wanted to do and push yourself kind of your own little niche. And you were really true to that. And a lot of riders get sucked into what's going to be best for the judges or something like that. Speak to me a bit about that, kind of staying true to your riding style and, and riding in your comfort zone. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of weird that when I look back at my career, I feel like or look back at my life and now as well, I always felt like I've been kind of insecure in, uh, in myself but it's weird. In some way, I must have had some sort of self-confidence, at least, because as you say, I've been sticking to my routine. And when I look back at pictures, I'm like, how did I dare to like when all everyone Andreo and those guys were like in ACDC shirts and black dickies and tattoos? And I showed up in like a white, <laughs> white tight jeans and like a, a flannel shirt and just... Uh, 
yeah, in some way I must have at least had the confidence to to stick to my uh, to my routine. And uh, as you say, I, I think I've also always kind of know known what I'm good at and uh, kind of believed that it's uh, it's gonna pay off to to stick to to my own plan and not get too carried away with what uh, what the other riders are uh, are doing so um, yeah I mean I was sticking to my tail whips in 360s pretty much throughout my my whole whole career I mean me and the Swedish guys are usually laughing and joking a little bit about that how like I definitely had like a stock package that I that I did for almost every event and I wasn't the really crazy guy who learned tons of new tricks and tried I stick to I stick to like the double whips and the three double whips and then I did it almost on every event I remember there for a while I started to doubt myself a little bit that some guys were like sometimes when we had back in the day like one contest almost every week then people started to get a little bit bored of me doing okay first jump double whip second jump three whip last jump flip whip or like it was kind of a stock package but um yeah it worked and i um i'm also very happy now when i'm sitting here that i didn't take crazy risks because now i can still at least live a normal life and my my body is at least working <laughs> semi semi good so uh it was also uh, smart and i mean i have never seen myself as like a guy that take huge risks i've always been like if you compare to some other riders i definitely feel like i've been playing it a bit more safe i know what i'm good at and i'm sticking to that and then obviously sometimes i've been sending it pretty hard but still like yeah you you definitely don't have to be a crazy crazy person uh, or you do have to be a crazy crazy person to become uh, like that's any sport but still it's so you rose up through the sport very quickly and uh, you got to the point of riding in front of 35 40,000 fans in, in Joyride in Whistler the pinnacle of the sport and and clearly a goal you'd set yourself to get a gold medal there and you were on their way there that that I say famous run run but probably not so famous in your mind and you had a horrific injury there on on a trick you knew you could land but sometimes these things go wrong can you talk about the process of of that injury, the highs and lows of that, and then rebuilding your confidence, because I think that people can really aspire to on a story like yours. That was the pinnacle of the sport you were going for, and it was just you were crushed. You had a really people called it a it could have been a career ending injury, and you worked your way back to to the same level again. Yeah, first maybe talking a little bit of that, it was. Uh... Yeah, it, I, I've had, uh, it was, it almost felt again, like every, everything was going my way, like building up to that joyride, like the years before I had like a couple of uh, seconds and third in uh, different Crankworks events. And uh, I really obviously wanted a gold at uh, joyride because it's, yeah, the biggest thing you can win probably in this, uh, in this sport. So before that, it was uh, Crankworx Colorado, or it was, or if it was Colorado Freeride Festival, I don't know what it was was called. But um, yeah, I won that one, and 
I just went into Joyride with very good self-confidence and practice went great. And then just before uh, the finals, I did a run and I crashed pretty hard. But I woke up and like, how did I just like nothing, no scratches, didn't feel bad. And sometimes, as you know, sometimes crashing can be can give you confidence in a weird way that you like when you crash and you get out of it and you're like, oh, I'm like... I can do anything. <laughs> so it was weird. Everything was like building up to, uh, yeah, everything felt great. Um, I landed my first run, um, and I think I, I was first place after the first run. And then in the second run, uh, Brandon knocked me down to second. But since I was first in the first run, I, I dropped in last. So everything was like, yeah, it was just building up. And I think I just hit like hit play and just, uh, felt like yeah this is this is happening it's uh, <laughs> it's meant to be and but also what was the year that, before so was there not pressure dropping in last did you not feel this pressure on oh, i could win this how was that pressure at the top <laughs> it's uh, it sounds too easy when i say that i just hit play that's why i'm asking i'm like <laughs> if, if a listener can picture modern sonderstrom being at the top of a rolling number one the course is ridiculous to ride plus the tricks you want to do plus surely the front of mind is you know this could be my gold winning run this is my chance yeah of course yeah and it, if people many of the listeners have seen me standing on that because it's been circling around and you can see how like how focused I am but still I felt like I was definitely in my own bubble I did not think about the crowd or anything like that um and then again, everything went perfectly smooth. I had uh, the run that I wanted, did one of the first triple tail whips in uh, in contest back then. Sounds crazy now, since that's what they do every run now. But back then, it was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, and then on the last feature, I was uh, going to go for a 360 double tail whip uh, on like a pretty big step down. And um, yeah, uh, it went wrong <laughs> i uh, i overrotated uh, a bit and put my foot down and since that step down was pretty bad or pretty big it was uh, just too much pressure for my leg and uh, yeah if you search on youtube martin Sutherstone crash I, <laughs> I think that's one of my most viewed videos <laughs> unfortunately it might be but your road to recovery is an inspirational story as well so hopefully they yeah, find exactly. that on youtube as you well watch that as well yeah uh, yeah, and uh, snap my tib fib, and just as you said, it was uh, a pretty horrific crash, and uh, definitely something that could have stopped my my career completely. Um, and pretty much a little bit at that moment, everything obviously shattered under my feet a little bit. Uh, with like, first of all, I wanted to win Joyride. And then second of all, me and Brandon were battling with the, the whole world tour and I got second in the world tour the year before and I really wanted to win it. And now it was, uh, yeah, everything just kind of disappeared just, just like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, went to the hospital in Vancouver and was there for a bit, uh, did the, the surgery there and then, uh, uh, was flying back to to Sweden, and uh, yeah, I mean the first injury is always is always very tough. <laughs> but like yeah, for the first time, 
you get to experience kind of a normal life in some way that everyone else is out competing and you're watching like the live feeds and you can see all your friends progress and you're at home and just yeah it's it's really easy to uh lose yourself and lose uh value in because also yeah this whole uh, like self confidence uh thing is is also weird in an athlete's life i feel like it's the self-confidence that we're building by events and by social media isn't real like it feels like what you're building up in your when you're growing up and like being loved by your parents and like that's real confidence what we get from events is something that can kind of almost it's almost like a, a dream cloud that when a couple of days later, it can just be gone. And then all you have left is pretty much <laughs> what you got when you were a kid. And like when you, during your whole uh, period of, uh, of growing up. So, uh, yeah, um, that was pretty much what happened with, uh, with me that I... Uh, you went through that mental process of, of feeling like shucks, it can be taken away in a second with that with that injury, not knowing if you're going to come back. Is that the stuff that was playing on your mind, even that far back in your career? That's what yeah, happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you have been talking about before in this podcast as well, I've always been kind of been thinking, maybe overthinking a little bit uh, a lot of the time that, um, yeah, I was going pretty crazy uh, back then on like oh I need to get back and get my my real life back but it was also kind of cool because it was also the first time when you kind of start to value like a girlfriend and parents and your friends at home because it's really easy to get carried away <clears throat> when you become a, <clears throat> a pro athlete and you're just yeah everything is just going great and you're like oh me 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 oh I'm I'm the limelight and I'm I'm the best and it's easy to uh, kind of forget about the rest, how important that is. Um, but sometimes not even you saying that it's me, me, me. People are, are wanting your time and putting you on the pedestal. Oh, Martin, you're going to win. Martin, you're so good. You know, it's, it's uh, maybe a byproduct from the environment as well and not just internal. No, exactly. Yeah, good that you mentioned him. Um, pretty good at being kind of hard on myself sometimes so <laughs> I, I think i think most pro athletes are there's a lot of kind of uh, self analysis and, and and criticizing to become a better athlete and sometimes yeah, i think it goes, goes deeper yeah <laughs> which we're going to get into that's uh, that's yeah. why we've uh, i think uh, got on quite well on the circuit or the, the in the industry is i think for good or for bad we have a bit of Overthinking, uh, over analysis, yeah. which is going to lead to some, I think, some great uh, value to the listener. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. But anyway, then um, after uh, after that, I did my rehab and uh, and all that stuff, <clears throat> and then uh, I think it was a year later uh, I was having my comeback at uh, Fis in uh, Montpellier in France, and uh, and then I. I managed to get second there again, like a gold event. And I remember that 
that's one of like a very cool uh, part and was very emotional for me and Anton Tillander kind of my prodigy or like a very uh, yeah talented uh, guy from Sweden another rider uh, got third um, so that was a very very special day and it was very uh, emotional uh, and happy obviously after all the work and like doubting myself could I yeah, can I still do this? And uh, how is my leg gonna hold up? And uh, and then I managed to, yeah, get second there. And uh, I think it was also like a big relief that like, okay, now I'm I'm back. And oh, I had no idea what, <laughs> what was about to come. <laughs> yeah, but the emotions you spoke about um, is that kind of. Um, the process that you followed to get back and be able to be healthy when you were maybe down in the dumps months before, you know, quite a lot of it. Looking back now, do you think that's maybe the emotion you were feeling? It's proving to yourself that you could get back up, you know, on being so down. Obviously, yeah, that was uh, a huge part. I think it was many factors also that, I mean, that, kind of my pro life was taken away from me and it was obviously a big relief that like okay I, I can still uh, and I mean as, as you know pressure from sponsors and everything and it was just cool to sh show everyone that okay I'm I'm back I can breathe for a bit because obviously during when you have a I think I had a nine month break or something like that from from bike riding uh that's obviously, yeah, very scary. I mean, for uh, it must be the same for any person that have a normal job as well. If if someone says, kind of tells you that, yeah, maybe you can't go back to your your job after this injury. It's obviously like a little bit, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of pressure um, that I had to handle. But uh, yeah, I've. Um, I think I've been fairly good at handling pressure or like I'm actually not sure if I'm good at it's hard to say that you're good at handling pressure because it's probably not a very good thing for yourself like to put that much pressure on yourself and to be able to live with that I mean it would probably have been better if I would just have went home to my mom and cried and been like I'm so like this is too much. This is overwhelming. I can't do this. But instead, I was just okay, like just so focused on. Uh, yeah, looking back at it now, I I feel like I just want to take that Martin and be like, it's all right. Like it's, <laughs> almost, almost take myself my as a kid. And like yeah, exactly, and just be like, it's fine. Life is not don't take it so serious that it's like ah oh, it's uh, it's fine breathe and like it's gonna be you don't have to stress that much to uh be the best or uh yeah you're good I you're good at you are i think mark. it's a i think it's a common common problem especially with young athletes it's all they know it's all they they are associated with and that's all yeah. they think they could do so when you do pull that early on that is a huge, tough mental barrier, and and and, it, and looked like you pushed through that with your competitive nature, your hard work, to get back. And I don't think there's anything wrong striving to get back to where you were as an, as an athlete at that time. Um, it clearly got you to where you are, and, and you're able to come back. 
you sustain another injury which you come back from. Can you walk me through um, slope style being a fickle sport, being kind of a young man's sport and injuries start playing on the mind? Can you walk me through that process of deciding that competitive slope style or the competitive side of the sport is maybe not for you anymore? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it probably may be since I was so stuck in my, as you say, competitive or like, yeah, that's just me <laughs> or was me, my uh, my mindset being that competitive. I think I just, uh, yeah, I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and like injuries happened. But then, I mean, obviously when I was injured, I I obviously thought many times like, oh, is, is this, is it worth it? But at the same time, when I got back on my bike, I I think I just, yeah, as I said, just just were pushing myself super hard. And um, yeah, the biggest problem with that was probably that, I mean, I, I had lost like, I, I don't remember now, but I, I think I counted like, during three years or something, I was off the bike for, I don't know what it was, half the time. Like, in three years, I was off the bike for one and a half years because of injuries. And that also shows a little bit how, like, crazy or, like, focused or whatever I was that I, I still felt like I'm going to get back there. And maybe I always had that feast come back in the back of my mind that it's like, it's possible. You can, uh, you can do it. But obviously, when you try to keep up with young athletes that are just where I was like uh, many, many years before and super motivated and uh, the confidence was there when you try to keep up with them when you just haven't been. I think sometimes you just want it too much. So you're like, this is what I have to do to be up there. So I'm going to do it. Not thinking like, okay, I've been injured. There's no way I should be able to keep up with that but I'm still going to do it just because that's that's what I have to do to uh, to keep my my job and you know, like be a professional athlete. So I think that was a big a big problem that I just tried to yeah, try to do set a too high level for myself and not asking myself like is this like can you actually do this or like yeah, what this realistically your, in the time frame realistic because the sport, that was the, word. the sport of free ride mountain biking progresses so quickly and like you said there's always seems like a younger guy every year there's another guy that's younger than the previous young guy that's willing to <laughs> throw himself off a cliff or do a triple backflip for a pair of free shoes to get noticed kind of probably how you were ironically yeah. setting the standard <laughs> setting the standard for swedish slope style and you've spoke about your protégés that you've been mentoring, um, which I think that is really big of you. You're always open to helping the younger generation come up, even if they were going to eventually overtake you. So potentially what you're saying is, you know, you had a pretty aggressive timeline for wanting to get back to where you felt your expectations of your riding could be. And the sport, uh, it progresses. Every sport progresses, but she's free ride mountain biking really progressed hard. Exactly. Yeah, and then I just tried to push myself a little bit too hard and not listening to my body. And then I just got injured and injured and injured, tried to get back, got injured again. 
and then after a while i think i just realized that uh, i this uh, it's just yeah i this have has to stop uh, in some way but then i i stopped with competing and then i started to like try to make videos and then i think i didn't realize that i was doing the exact same thing to myself that like instead of competing i would like try to do to keep up with because when you make a video it's the same thing you have to have a really high level obviously almost higher than events sometimes because you have to do something that blows minds uh, so then i did that for a bit and then i also <laughs> kept getting injured because i tried to yeah always uh, just yeah, I do the same thing again. I, I try to <laughs> what be be good at it, be maybe the best or the best you can exactly. be. That competitive yeah. nature came out in even yes. social media and stuff, and and that's an yeah maybe that should segue to well before we get the pressure of social media and these videos, and maybe that'll lead to um, something you've been open about speaking about some of the struggles you've had post this competitive nature, what was it mentally like? So did you kind of just push yourself into videos and then that pressure came or was there a, a, a portion that you really struggled saying, you know, I'm not going to be competitive more because I can relate. There was a point that the the industry as well as myself said, you know, it's time to hang up the racing boots and for you, the competitive slope style. So what was that like mentally? I mean, we pretty much everyone that have been a professional athlete know that it's probably the hardest decision that you take in your whole whole life when you have to like yeah when you've been pushing to be up there for so long and it's you it's your personality to be up there and then when you have to like take a step back it's yeah so scary and also with with everything you have to question everything i feel like like your job am i still gonna be able to keep my job my are my friends <laughs> still gonna like wanna hang out with me is my girlfriend still wanna hang out with me when i'm not a bike pro there's like so many things uh that gets on your mind for um it uh, might sound like just one uh, easy thing to just decide if you're gonna keep competing or not but at least for me it was a lot bigger bigger than that um but yeah i think as i said I, I i did that but then i started to push myself into something else instead i maybe wish that i would have taken a little bit of a breather and be like okay martin enjoy now like <laughs> you, you reached your dream you're done <laughs> like amen amen i hear you but you're a high achiever so that's not possible <laughs> No, Unless you exactly. really got tied to a chair, I think, to reflect on it. So you yeah. launch. So it's a tough mental thing, and I, I think the ego is involved. Um, do you have a so something you've learned? I mean, you've alluded to a lot of things you've learned and reflected. Is there a takeaway from that? I mean, I've I've realized that there is life after racing, or there is life after competitiveness, um, but it's not easy. I'm not comparing this to. Look, it's a tough one. Often often people say, oh, you lead this crazy life and it's not a normal life. And there's no judgment. There's nothing better about sports. It's just 
the what comes with this career you choose the high the super highs that are maybe more high than a normal job but then the lows are, are far worse so you almost don't wish it on everyone um mm. looking looking back now so talk oh, to absolutely. me talk to me about then the the understanding of of pushing yourself for videos and social media and that pressure to probably that you put on yourself i think we all do as high achievers to to deliver for these sponsors yeah exactly um i guess um yeah, I mean, as we, I don't know if we should jump <laughs> jump to to that, but, but like as we all <clears throat> know, in uh, September, I uh, I posted that uh, I uh, started to get panic attacks, um, which was uh, yeah, it was it, it felt kind of weird because at that moment. I had kind of taken the decision like, okay, I'm done with competing. I'm done with filming. Now I'm going to either quit or maybe try to find a way to not ride the, uh, yeah, to ride in a, in a way that I'm happy with. Uh, but that's uh, what's kind of cool, I guess, with, uh, with your body that, uh, I think that's the first time my body felt like, okay, now Martin is relaxing and he's open to maybe listen a little bit and he's not trying to just push, push, push forward towards something. So then as soon as I started to relax a little bit, yeah, I think the body just like, okay, now he can finally deal with all the pain and all the pressure and all the tears that he maybe should have shattered instead of just pushing super hard through, through all, all these years. So I was uh, like playing paddle with uh, with my friends and I just started to feel like almost like an outside of the body experience that they were talking and I was just not there. Um, and then I started to get a lot of pressure on my, on my chest and I, I was like, I was freaking out and telling them like, shit, I'm, because I had been stressing a lot that day. So I was like, shit, I'm having... I'm getting a heart attack. Holy shit. That's what it felt like at the time. Yes, exactly. Crazy, okay. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, they uh, drove me quickly into the into the hospital and I got all these machines on me and I was 100% sure that it was uh, a heart attack because it was, uh, yeah, I could, couldn't really breathe. And, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, they ran all the tests and uh, they said that, nothing is uh nothing is wrong with you uh you uh, probably just had a panic attack and uh that was uh I, yeah i think it was very good for me <laughs> that it that it happened because i mean it sounds crazy but as everyone says like when something that crazy happens most of the time you don't regret that it happens because it will bring you into a completely new life at least it has uh, has for me uh, so what yeah. was that what was that feeling like or emotion when they said it it wasn't what you thought and it was a panic attack mm. what was that 
what did you feel then that there, so so there wasn't technically a, a physical reason for how mentally you were struggling and well there was physical mm. symptoms you felt them but they say yeah. no you're fine like yeah you just had a panic attack and, you go home now. <laughs> and you're like what do you mean a panic attack like you quoted to say you felt like you were gonna die and that's that's an emotional internal feeling yeah exactly i mean it's just all you can say is that it's very cool how uh, how the body works that the body like projected that on me just for me to feel something and not be this robots that I've been throughout all the years and just focusing and not like only living up here listening to yeah myself just pushing and not listening to my emotions and maybe yeah to feel normal <laughs> normal so you, emotions you think it was there to teach you something uh, a valuable oh, valuable life absolutely. lesson it sounds like you're about to educate me on what it has taught you <laughs> yeah no but absolutely that's uh that's how i feel that now it's yeah it finally had the possibility to come out and, sh and tell me that like you have to do something about this because you have buried so much pain and sadness inside of yourself and it has to come out now and the body yeah just yeah <laughs> made it clear for me that <laughs> this is not working anymore well i mean so, i think uh, it's super courageous coming onto a platform like social media which i think can cause anxiety and depression in its own right especially as a sportsman there's this weird pressure to post and perform, like you've said, and you've been doing that your whole, whole life with, in theory, without a break, it sounds like it. And yeah. um, you've, you've come out and, and wanted to expose and thank people for the support and the realization how much support and love. And you could see by everyone flocking to that post because we didn't know what was going on. You were quiet. And uh, someone like me sitting in South Africa doesn't, you know, touch base with you every day or every month even. You wait for the events. Yeah. So to see that, to 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 see how courageous you were speaking about that openly, and and all the love and support, you know, from people like Brian Lopes, who who isn't even really on the circuit anymore. It's just one of the names I saw on that post. You know, you had a really infectious positivity on on people. So um, coming coming back from that, what what were the stages after that? Going going home from the hospital and and reflecting on all this. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was uh, a big eye-opener as well, as you said, to it's easy to always feel loved for what only what you achieve in biking, that you get a high-five if you do a cool trick or you get a high-five if you uh, get on the podium. But it was definitely cool to get some love from showing that you're weak <laughs> because obviously that almost never happens in uh, in sports. Uh and it definitely taught me that weakness for sure is better to show than you being strong <laughs> because that's kind of what I felt like I've been doing my whole, my whole life that I'm strong and I can do this and I'm a professional athlete and I can, I'm not a human almost. Invincible. Uh, yeah, pretty almost much. Invincible. Uh, you felt that. Yes. And, now I understand how lonely that is and like you need to yeah, show yourself vulnerable and tell people that 
I need, I need you guys. And like, I need, it's like, it's obvious that we need already from when we're born, we need love and we need support and we need everything from the, from the start. Maybe we need it a little bit less when we grow up, but still a lot more than what we, than what we are getting, at least what I've, what I was getting since, uh, yeah, I mean, when you show that side of yourself and you're always happy and you're like, oh, life is great. People are obviously not going to go to you like, Martin, it's going to be okay. Like you're a good person. Like it's, yeah, you just don't get that as much as when you go to someone and said, just like, oh, I'm feeling super down and life is hard. And someone probably is going to tell you something, something nice. But if you just show yourself being perfect, you're going to miss out a lot of the of the nice moments that you can have with people and to hear what they actually yeah, feel about you or like a lot of nice words that you're missing out on when you're trying to be too strong. And do you think social media as well as maybe being a professional sportsman to show vulnerability or weakness, we kind of block that because how dare a professional athlete getting paid good money describe that life shit or that he's struggling you know like i think that blocks a person or a wealthy person complaining you know everyone has problems it's all relative to their situation and a pro sportsman has his struggles and a accountant has his and someone that's struggling month to month have their struggles and and it seems like in this day and age that social media is always the the best trick and the best filter on a picture and it's 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 your uh what do they call it it's like your your best life and then everyone at home looking at these pictures is comparing it to their like d-roll you know <laughs> which is also yeah, so stupid but it happens every day sometimes you go and you scroll through social media and you get quite a negative outlook you're like oh fuck i haven't posted much and shit i i guess i could do that video but i didn't want to promote myself and come across vain and then you, you feel down on yourself and, and it's tough to show vulnerability in this day and age because everyone's got to be happy and everyone's got to be positive and everyone's got to be the best at something, you know? Mm, absolutely. No, I, I think about that sometimes as well. It's like now it's for the first time in so long, it's okay to just be bragging about everything that you do. And like if you would have someone a friend that was bragging all the time, you would just not hang out with him anymore because you don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, don't, you, you don't feel good about someone bragging all the time. And then that's exactly what we're doing on social media. And the more we brag, the more positive feedback we get. So everything is just like all mixed up how it is now that like before, if you were bragging, you, you didn't get any friends. And now when you brag, you get followers. Like, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, man, it's it's confusing, and that what's also scares me sometimes, and that's why I try to at least do posts like this because kids are just getting the completely wrong idea about life and how it how it works. Hopefully, everyone have good parents that can tell <laughs> that can tell them that Martin Soderstrom's life isn't as good as it looks. It's way shitter than it looks on, on social media. I don't know, dude. Being a tall Swedish 
good looking good looking lad <laughs> can't be that lad <laughs> no, i'm joking that's but that's the assumption people make and uh, i again i commend you for coming out on on a platform like this and i think it'll inspire other people to do so when life isn't that bad <laughs> Martin is coming out. <laughs> oh, you did really, <laughs> Martin? Is that? Can I use that as clickbait? I'm click sure bait? you're gonna get a lot of click, clicks on that. <laughs> you heard it here first. Martin yeah. is out, and then like the the preview doesn't show like comes out and discusses anxiety and a panic attack. It just says comes out, and then it's read more. No one reads more. <laughs> Man, we're gonna be famous. We're gonna get so many listeners. And then will we be happy if we're famous? Yeah. <laughs> I say no, that. No. I say that tongue in cheek. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we we're able to poke fun at a clearly a absolutely scary situation for you and us as people on the circuit. I remember in New Zealand. Maybe that's when you came back online in New Zealand around March. I forget. And uh, the positive vibes. You weren't even there, but it was cool because people were like, "Yeah, right." Is it Instagram's algorithm rhythm, algorithms that have kept him away from my feed or is he not posting? And then I went and researched. I'm like, damn, I blamed Al uh, you know, Instagram for that and, and it wasn't so. So you started um, deciding you had a good point to start exposing yourself to the world. It's weird to say that via the social media, but you're obviously writing again. When did you start mm. writing again after, I, I would assume, taking a break and doing a lot of reflection? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I pretty much uh, was 100% convinced and sure that I was going to stop my professional career because I, uh, yeah, when I had all that stuff, I just felt that oh, all this pressure and stuff that I put on myself, that it's, uh, I just don't feel good about it. And I need to just maybe get a normal job and just try to figure out my life and who I am without being the bike rider. Uh, but then uh, something very cool, uh, uh, my sister actually suggested to go to one of these like group therapy groups uh, and I started to do that. And then the more I started to kind of work with myself, somehow the pressure yeah, that's the cool part with uh, how the body works, I guess, when you like start talking about things and actually open up and not lock everything out, uh, lock everything up, then you're gonna, those feelings of pressure and everything is gonna go less, uh, <laughs> it's gonna get less and less instead of when you lock them in, they almost get bigger, I feel like. So I uh, started to practice that uh, I guess to start talking about things and talk to my start talking to my parents again and uh, talking that group and then slowly I start to feel like yeah maybe I can actually do this without putting that much pressure on myself and I started to ride a little bit again first I took like a long break I think I didn't touch my bike for seven months uh, but then uh, yeah slowly start to ride again and I yeah, I felt like, yeah, this is, I mean, it was also cool because I started riding on the street outside of my mom's house, like where it all began. And it like was a full like, circle for you. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, and I started to feel like that motivation back again, not riding for others, but actually just ride for myself and that it was fun to 
progress my writing again and not compare myself because that's also so hard with I feel like that's what I've been doing a lot in my career that I've I mean even if I've done something really cool for myself if I saw the next day that Brandon had done something better than the thing I did even if that was really cool for me that was still shit because someone else did something better so it was like yeah it was very good for me to um just start to ride without any pressure and don't feel like oh in two months I'm gonna be in Whistler or Innsbruck and have to be very good at riding in front of tons of people that I could just ride and not have any thoughts anywhere else and just just ride so that was um yeah, very good. And then I've just been starting riding more and more and more. Uh, and then obviously, like the brain works, it turns on that again, that you're like, oh, today was really good. Maybe I can, you know, compete again. Or maybe I can, everything feels great. But then it's also very cool that I'm going to this group and I'm talking about it. And I'm like, I know that it's just my ego and my, uh, yeah, that I don't have enough self-confidence that I've I tried to get it from something else an external of, factor uh, interesting exactly and then even if i know throughout my whole career that i haven't got any real confidence from from that it's just it's just my brain basically trying to fool myself that oh if i just get that i'm gonna be happy uh but then it's cool that i can uh, now when i talk about it and i get some help i can be like you know what martin you're good the way you are. You don't have to do that. And uh, I feel like that's very cool. It's a lot of the like panic and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's getting less and less. And um, yeah, even if I have a, still have a long way to go, I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm on, on the right track. It's great, Tien. It, it sounds like you, you use the word ego and, and it sounds like you do a bit of work in those sessions. Uh, I've read a book or two on it. Um, one called Ego is the Enemy and a, a great recount of how you you use and need the ego, ego or it's obviously it's there. You can't fight it, but you can manage it. Is that something you guys speak about a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I guess that's the biggest, uh, yeah the biggest part of what we what we talk about that in some way that we all been kids and we we just all we wanted was to be loved and to get uh, yeah feedback in uh, positive feedback from our parents and then i guess that keeps keeps going throughout our whole career that we're just trying to ah oh, see me give me give me love and <laughs> like yeah that stuff and uh, also today with social media and stuff it's very easy to feed the ego and what we don't understand when we feed the ego is that it's getting bigger okay instead yeah. of uh, or like now it sounds like I have the answer that's absolutely not correct but that's how I feel with myself that like if you start feeding the ego with posting pictures on Instagram and like please see me love me uh, then you maybe don't get that right <laughs> feeling in yourself that like the real love to yourself it's just like uh yeah not not real 
it's hard to talk about this when it's it's easy to talk about bikes when it when English is your second language. But anyway, I, like, oh, I actually wanted in, to say that English. to the <laughs> listeners, you are coming across so well in not your first language, and uh, <laughs> it's always impressed me, and I'm beyond uh, impressed. So you know, you've been very descriptive and and uh, communicating <laughs> extremely well, better than I think I can as my first language. Wow. No, it's been good. So Martin of today. Uh, looking back, giving yourself advice or these listeners at home, you've definitely alluded to some of it about social media and the dangers. Have you got maybe one or two takeaways to give a lesson? You've come out on social media and people are inspired and maybe you can just give a lesson or two of, of what you've learned through this or advise some youngsters coming up in sport or, or in life. Mm. Yeah, first of all, sometimes I feel when I if I do podcasts like this or talk about it, sometimes I feel like I I put it in a negative <laughs> in a negative way with like sports and stuff like that, and then I always feel bad because obviously it's given me so much happiness and stuff like that as well. It's just easy to see the negative side of things sometimes. So um, yeah, sorry about that. Biking is is really <laughs> it's a really cool thing as long as you. It's only me that have been sometimes doing it the wrong way, but biking in general and sports in general are amazing if you just do it the right way and not put too much pressure on yourself so the, think, so yeah. the right way is potentially managing the pressure and, and enjoyment of it and trying not to lose that enjoyment yes i think the the main thing i can say that it is possible to become the best it's probably even easier to become the best if you do if your thrive is coming from happiness and like not as soon as you start to compare yourself with others and putting pressure on yourself it takes away a lot of that happiness and i think happiness is the best source to like energy and pressure is for sure the best way of killing and weighing yourself down i mean we can feel that many times when we're standing on the start line and a world cup or whatever that you're like oh, why can i not just feel like at that jump at home and just like, ah, oh, because I want to do this, but why is this pressure killing me? Yeah. Uh, so basically to just, uh, yeah, try to stay away from pressure and absolutely try to stay away from comparing yourself to others because what other people think, I mean, you should definitely be a good person always. Like you should care about what other people think in that way. But not like, oh, can I wear this this shirt or can I uh, do this trick even if people are going to laugh at me or whatever. That it's like, try to, you're only going to win out of being yourself and try to love yourself for who you are and not like, it's always the other person that is going to lose or like you are going to lose if you try to live your life to make someone else happy because all that matters in the end is actually that you're happy, right? Yeah, and, and I don't think you can – I don't think it's too negative speaking about this. I think it's realistic that you're not going to be happy all the time. But if you're striving for a enjoyment and a fulfillment and getting that from things not related to results, and I think some famous sportsmen, and I think it takes a lot of years to figure this out, that some have been quoted to say, well, I I ride bikes, but I'm that's not who I am. I'm, you mm -hmm. know – 
I'm not a bike rider. I, I ride bikes for a living and that's my career and I'm extremely good at it because I work to get good. But that's not who I am. You are a person, you are a son or you might be a husband or you're a father. Those things are a little bit more, well, you can sustain that fulfillment a little bit longer. And I think it takes many years and lessons that you're learning yourself and now being able to pass on to someone without them having to go go through some of those things. Hopefully, I have at least uh, <laughs> maybe someone. Uh, yeah, maybe I've helped someone. Uh, but yeah, it is um, very cool to talk about it, and uh, I really hope that this is gonna grow. That we can all. I mean, we can always already see that on social media and stuff that people are talking more and more and uh, are giving giving away more of the also bad side of of life so uh and i think that's gonna continue but it's cool that we could help that evolution a little bit maybe absolutely and and the marathon of now uh, riding uh, obviously enjoyment getting back into it looking a little bit ahead is that something we still see you at crankworks events doing speed and style or are you saying i'm trying to stay away from too much competition in general because you've obviously excelled at that and 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 i saw the enjoyment of it as well at the last few events is that something you you will come back to or, or is it kind of time will tell where you're going to be uh i actually think that i'm i'm gonna be nice to myself and say that i'm 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 done <laughs> with the, with competing overall like uh Maybe not in cross country skiing. I'm I'm gonna do some cross country skiing <laughs> skiing contests. <laughs> no, but in biking, that is okay. But well, that's I, a big that's a, a that's a big thing to announce or to to say, and that doesn't mean it's forever. You could get have some fun at a race in four years' time. Who, no one retires and thing. doesn't come back if they feel like it or their body and mind wants to. So for now, it sounds like you'd like to take a break or stop competitive cycling. That's a very good way put it Andrew that it's like yeah if I can start competing for the right reason and stand on the start line and be like you know what I don't care if I'm first or last I'm gonna do this for me then I could stand on the start line but uh, yeah the way it's been the last couple of years when it's been mostly pressure uh, if I if I manage to to lose that to drop that and uh, yeah compete for the right reason then I'll uh, then I'll be back. But for now, I think I need a couple of more uh, group therapy ses sessions to, to manage to to get to that point. And you mentioned uh, cross-country skiing, or well, that's obviously Nordic skiing for, for yeah, the listeners exactly. and for me to get educated. Is that a kind of an escape for you and something to focus on away from bikes and something that's given you so much but also been a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I mean, I always really... That's probably why I started to love biking so much in the, in the beginning, to just go out in the woods being by yourself and just listen to the nature and doing something with your body always feels great, right? So, uh, and also, as we talked about before, Sweden during winter, now when I'm not maybe as motivated anymore to go out in minus 20 degrees and ride my bike. Um, so that's like a perfect... Uh, perfect activity for me to do during the winter and I always uh, in March we have this crazy race that is 90 90k 
of skiing uh, so then I can kind of have that as a goal for every every winter to go and do that race and then you know the competitive side you're always like yeah, writing down what uh, what result you got and like oh I'm getting better on the cross year, you're right? doing that on the cross country side yeah, yeah 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 well I think <laughs> I think it's like the ego and a comp- it's kind of I guess they're linked in a sense I mean I'm not a sports psychologist by any means in imagination but I've been to some before so yeah. maybe they're linked. It's about managing that competitive side. And I know I I threw myself into golf a little bit uh, to get my mind off riding. And then after competing, I could see that I went a little bit, sp- I spiraled a bit into mm. a game that doesn't always reward hard work and dedication like cycling. So the wrong sport to dive into. But I, I do relate that you still need to find your fix for that competitive nature within reason. So that's awesome to hear you found something. So I'll follow along on that. And maybe we but can... I will definitely yeah, yeah. keep riding. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> well. no, no, no. I'm not going to be say... a full-time cross-country skier. But, I was going to say, the fans, the fans, I think, can appreciate it. And then if you do ever come back to an event just to hang out, the fa- I know the fans will love it. The industry will love it. So uh, we wait in anticipation and hope, but there's no pressure to come back except to share a beer with us. And... Uh, that leads me that to another segment. We can uh, have a little bit of a segue. Um, I've got some untold stories, but because I'm speaking to uh, a big slope style free rider, extreme sportsman, often they switch off in the bar. So we're not going to promote too much of that. But what some people don't know is a lot of you free riders are quite generous and you would get together and say that there was an unwritten rule that you need to spend 10% of your earnings in the bar on everyone, which I thought, um, was was good and I think it was a good generous rule and a, a lot of the the riders used to adhere to that so definitely some fun times do you have any untold stories PC of life on the road <laughs> or something funny that happened before an event that maybe you haven't shared Oh, I mean man. sharing a room with Pilgrim uh, yeah we might not be able to speak about many of those occasions <laughs> no, exactly um, you can just watch Pilgrim's uh, YouTube channel and you will understand how it is to share a room with that guy 24-7. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, that life, the party life, it's been uh, it's been a while. But uh, no, but you also know that 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 feeling after when you had a good race and you go out and celebrate with your friends that's probably like as close to euphoria that you can, uh, I mean, not, we shouldn't promote drinking because drinking has nothing to do with this. No, no, you're not. um, I think the release of pressure, the release of pressure and being able to, uh, there's so much weight. Again, not alcohol. Not (laughs) Not that the alcohol is taking away. (laughs) No, no. On your shoulder, just that you're done with your competition. You're out. No, yeah. the po- there uh, is a lot of positive vibes, and if you do well, it's yes, it's not a sustainable feeling, but there's there, let's there's no hiding that that feeling exists. It exists no. when you are competing. It's going to exist for the the rest of our of everyone's sporting careers. There is really, and Sean Palmer has been quoted about that euphoria feeling and <clears throat> chasing it afterwards. So no, it's not the alcohol. It's the I think that release of pressure and not having to think about it. You just switch off and there's a bit of euphoria in that. So I appreciate you sharing that. And a segment I've played with some of the races on the podcast and I'm going to change it a little bit for you 
being Slopestyle and maybe that will talk to the current affairs of Slopestyle. If we were to build the perfect rider and in a non-egotistical way, you can pick yourself for some of these categories. Oh, I will. Cool. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were to build the perfect rider, Slopestyler or free rider, mm-hmm. um, and there's five categories, mental strength, jumping, style, tricks. I put fitness in there, which is probably a bit silly, but... I mean, this day and age they are. So who would you pick yeah. for, you know, the most mental strength dealing with pressure and, and pushing themselves? The annoying part at the moment is that in the, in the slope cell sport, we have one guy that, that seems like he fits on all these criteria. And is, uh... Oh, yeah, but you can only pick a rider once. <laughs> Sorry. So you can't pick the, Brett Reader for the, all of them. The sport. <laughs> No, but I, I was actually talking about Emil Johansson at the moment. But, yeah, fair uh, enough. I fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> He's, that kid seems to have all of those things. But uh, yeah, sorry about that. What was the first one? No, that's fine. So mental strength as mental a category. Strength. I mean, mental strength. I would say there's so many ways of mental strength. I would say that actually maybe Nik- Nikolai Rogatkin have the biggest mental strength in the way that he. I feel that he seemed to be the guy that managed somehow to put the least pressure on himself and kind of still doing it for fun and like it's it surely seems that way on the outside, doesn't it? He's he's able yeah, to exactly. really manage it. That's a that's a key key takeaway there. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, yes, I would say uh, Nikolai just because uh, he seems to be the one that still are having a lot of fun out there and uh, managed to not put too much pressure on himself and then jumping uh what do you what do you mean like tricks or well no i've jump? got tricks in here i've got style and i've got fitness so if you say oh that guy was always able to jump the biggest or mm. the best you know we've got style so style is you can say you like a guy because he jumps well and he looks good while he's jumping yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so I, no offense um, to him, I wouldn't pick Nikola under jumping. <laughs> but he would tell me that as no. well. That's not a judgment. I it's would, not. I would Absolutely pick, not. you know, I would probably pick Rita for his style or his way of fluidity on the jumping. But this is your, this is the question to you. Thank you. Uh, I guess like confidence in the air, you could say, would be, Probably be maybe Andreu Lacondigi. Okay, just, yeah, yeah. Like, it just feels like he he feels like home. He's like fish in the water when he's in the air. It just feels like yeah. I uh, <laughs> I like to watch him in the in the air. <laughs> Martin is coming out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and style. <laughs> Overall, style. overall style. It's subjective. Mm-hmm. It's whatever you feel you like watching or seeing. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. I mean, uh, I feel like someone that have uh, put a big effect on me throughout the years by doing kind of technical tricks in slope style and stuff is um, Aaron Chase that people don't maybe yeah. know that much of. Um, 
uh, these days, but was one of the best riders back in the day. And uh, at least he's influenced me a lot in uh, in my riding. But then style, we obviously have like our dog, and we have. Uh, oh, you're just sitting there waiting for me to say Brandon Seven. Can't no, you? <laughs> uh, well, no, that would. Uh, but, but I will. It wouldn't of be course. my. No, it wouldn't be my pick. And like again, there's no judgment; it's all subjective. No, no, um, yeah, exactly. For style, it's, I would, yeah. I would go our dog or even Reader. I think has a lot of fluidity on a bike and, and looks super stylish to me. But it's subjective. Semenik, oh, yeah, I'd probably put him as tricks. But I mean, there's Emil, like you say, I've got to probably put him as tricks. Every yeah. rider we've mentioned is at the top, so all of these is good. But we're just having a bit of fun, you know. If we could take yeah, style yeah, from sure. this. Style from this rider, the mental strength from Regatkin, the jumping from, you know, it'd be quite a fun rider to see, you know, if you could. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, with the with the style, a little bit of that Swedish style, maybe also throw in some white jeans and, and stuff like that in there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, but yeah, those, uh, yeah, there's many stylish riders also like... Eric Fedko at the moment are killing it super hard, the German German kid. And uh, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of stylish riders which I, which I uh, really like to see because uh, yeah, I I obviously feel like that's a very important part of slope style. Yeah, I would certainly agree. For me, that's probably the top of of all these lists. And then uh, I'm I'm not even going to ask you about the fitness. That's maybe silly, but tricks tricks is going to be a tough one. But if we had to build the perfect rider and someone with however you describe tricks, the biggest bag, the gnarliest, it's up to you. Like, who do you want to take? That That is a, a challenging one. It is, absolutely. But at the moment, me riding a lot with Emil Johansson, I, I think I just have to to pick uh, him. It feels like he's the, the perfect mix between, like, banger tricks and very technical tricks and then also throwing in tricks that I really like, like 316 verts and stuff like that. So he's really got the whole package when it comes to uh, to tricks. So I would uh, definitely pick him, <sighs> obviously. But, uh, yeah, I just I can only pick one. Right? No, so. you can only pick one. No, one, <laughs> no one's going to hold you to anything. But, Martin, um, I... I uh, I'm so grateful that you were able to share your experience, these first-hand experiences, and I, and I think you've added a lot of value, and thank you for speaking so well in, in not your first language. <laughs> and uh, I hope to cross paths with you sooner rather than later and, and, and share a beer and, and carry on some of our uh, overthinking yeah. <laughs> uh, history that we have if it's maybe going to catch a flight and we're delayed we always seem to find each other and, and you're always open to to having a good good discussion so thanks so much for your time and being so open and being so courageous I think and creating a bit of awareness for the challenges that uh, professional sports can bring thanks a lot and yeah thanks for having me on the show and thanks everyone that are uh, listening I thought I could uh, or I hope that i have brought something to the table, hopefully. Awesome, bud. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Wow, that was quite the story and almost unexpected. You really don't know what anyone is going through, especially looking at social media. You really don't know. 
the internal battles that they're dealing with. Thanks so much for Martin for coming on. It's great to catch up with him. And really, I think it showed a lot of courage to admit what sort of challenges he's been going through. Because when you look at him, you don't think he would have any worry in the world. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with some friends. Hit that like button, that subscribe. Give us a rating, a review. It all helps so that I can bring on more guests. So yeah, hit me up. Send me a direct message on Instagram or wherever. Let me know what you liked, what you disliked, and uh, what sort of guests you want to see on the show. Thanks again, guys. Until the next one, enjoy. Enjoy.